Comic-Con equals danger. Hello and welcome to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, parenthood, publishing, and marriage. I'm Morgan Baden. With me is my co-host and my husband and my baby daddy, Barry Liga. Hey, Barry. Hello, Morgan. <laughs> hey, before we start, can yeah. I do something real quick? I just want to give a shout out to Melody and Sarah, who uh, are two podcast listeners who came to my signing line at New York Comic Con this week and uh, told me that they were podcast listeners. And it, it, it's always cool to see podcast listeners in the wild. Yes. So Super thanks for cool. listening, Melody and Sarah. Hi, ladies. <laughs> um, actually, I'm glad you did that because I feel like this episode is really all about pop culture. That's how I've structured it to be. See, it's it's a, it's a Morgan episode, so there's actually structure to it. <laughs> one of these days, I'm just going to randomly pull topics out of a hat in, during one of my episodes. Just, just, I'm just going to own my own chaos. <laughs> Go ahead. Talk about your structure. <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about Comic-Con. Oh, okay. So you were there last night for... For about five minutes, it felt nah, like. No, <laughs> you know. You were there for a little bit. Yeah. Um, I have, I've only been to Comic-Con once and it was, I think two years ago, maybe three years ago. Yeah. It was incidentally the time that you had a broken foot and did not yet know it was broken. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It was so we were about a walking. week before mm-hmm. I knew I was wearing a boot, Yeah, but I didn't know that my foot was broken. I yeah. thought it was just bruised or something. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, in my head, the connection is always like Comic-Con equals danger, like bruised foot. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I do remember it was, I mean, it was crazy hectic. Yeah. And I just saw, obviously, I have a bunch of coworkers there. Scholastic has a big thing going on. Lots of exciting stuff. And obviously I just have a lot of friends who go too, because that's what people do here in New York. And, uh, someone just posted that they were there, but could only stay for two hours because it was so crowded that it was no longer enjoyable. Yeah. And honestly, that's kind of how I felt when I was there a couple of years ago. Like you, you just can't move. So what are you looking at really? Right. Um, anyway, so how was your signing and your panel? And uh, what are your thoughts on Comic-Con and how it's changed? The uh, the, the signing and the panel were, were both fine. They were very enjoyable. I'm always amazed. You know, the the literary track at Comic-Con tends to be in the evening hours. Uh-huh. So my panel was from 5.15 to 6.15. And the show, actually, the show floor now closes at 7. It used to close at 5. Oh, it wow. closes at 7 now. But still, you know, it, it, Comic-Con's an exhausting experience. And I can't imagine being there all day and then saying, oh, it's 5 o'clock. I could go get dinner and a beer. But no, I'm going to go sit on sit and listen to a panel instead. Right. And I'm always amazed every time I do Comic-Con, the panels are packed. Wow. Which is really, really cool. Yeah. And, and, and makes it a lot more fun than if there's five people out of in the course. audience and one of them's just there because they had to sit down somewhere before they died. Yeah. Um, so it was good. And there was a reasonable number of authors on the panel. That so, sometimes sometimes the comic book conventions get a little a little uh, overzealous <laughs> with the, the panels. I've been on panels with literally 12 authors on a panel. Which is which Ridiculous. Let's is just say it. Absolutely That's too absurd. Too many people on a panel. Absurd. There were five of us yeah. on this panel. That was fine. Yeah. Um, and and it was good. It was very good. We all got to say our piece. We interacted really well. The audience seemed to be enjoying themselves. Uh, we had the signing immediately after, and we all sat and signed books, and that was fun. And and I actually bumped into a few people that I I don't normally get to see. There's one person in particular that I feel like I see only every year at Comic-Con <laughs> and I bumped into her backstage, which is where I seem to always bump into her. So that was fun. 
And uh, and it was a good time. But, you know, the show itself, unfortunately, I, I got there a little later than I thought I would. So I didn't get to walk the floor as much as I would have liked. It didn't feel obscenely crowded where I was mm-hmm. on the floor. But again, I was only there for about 25, 30 minutes. And you minutes. were there on Friday. And I was there on a Friday. And it was towards the end. You know, yeah. it was 4.30 when I was there. So, you know, I was able to move around and I was able to find some people, which which was nice. Again, I didn't have a lot of time. These shows have gotten so crazy because they've become more than just comic book shows. So this is what I wanted to ask yeah. you. So stop reading my mind, first of all. That's okay. twice tonight already. Yeah. Um, no, but, you know, you are you are a recovering comic book geek, according yeah. to your own bio. Yeah. So this is what you grew up with, is the comic book world. Right. Okay. I always, in a way, I'm super envious because your childhood passion, which sustained you through and continues to sustain you, that like the comics you love are, are a part of you. Um, you have these huge, amazing celebrations, these cons in right. cities across the globe every year that you can go to to tap into that love and that passion and that nostalgia and everything. And a lot of people, most people, I would say, don't have that about the things that they loved as a kid or the things that formed them. Right. 150,000 people aren't going to the Babysitter's Club convention. This is what I was going to say. You know? So I'm making a plea Which... right now. If you are a BSC fan, <laughs> let's start our own con. Start our own con, yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm serious. BS con. No, yeah. wait. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> um, and obviously it's different because I, I, you and I talk about this sometimes, which is that comic books overall have really, I mean, they're mainstream culture now. But when you were a kid, they weren't. Hearing those words come out of your mouth sounds so strange to me because up until, you know, 15 years ago, you know, comics... I mean, I, I can, you know, I worked in the industry 15 yeah. years ago, and I remember trying to convince uh, librarians that they should carry comic books, they should carry graphic novels. Yeah. And they looked at me like I was saying, you know, you should put hardcore pornography in your children's section. And that was the attitude. Yeah. And it has changed so much, and it is really weird. I mean, if you could go back in time and tell 14-year-old Barry, dude, someday this stuff that you love and that you are mocked for loving mm-hmm. is going to be multi, multi-billion dollar money-making yeah. industry. I would have been like, and you're going to literally crazy. be walking down the street and seeing and see, people of all ages in t-shirts. And, yeah, yeah, and it's just, all the time. It's a weird, it's a weird experience. You know, I actually went to one. I went to the last San Diego Comic Con before it blew up into a big pop culture con, mm-hmm. and it was so much fun. And then the next year, I didn't go, but a bunch of my friends went, and they said, whoa, dude. It's different. It's different. And I went maybe three or four years later. I can't remember the exact time. And it was insane. It was a madhouse. And, you know, it's because comics, for whatever reason, comic books, you know, the, the properties in comic books, the characters everybody has known for, you know, close to a century now, um... They sort of have their tendrils in all aspects of pop right. culture. Superman is not just a comic book. Superman is really bad movies right now, <laughs> but also a really cool cartoon and also video games and also T-shirts. And so as a yeah. result, it's not just people who are interested in a the comic book of Superman. It's people who are just interested in Superman, period, right. go. Yeah. And then that suddenly, you know, what happened was a few years ago, suddenly the video game industry, the movie industry, the music industry, the book mm-hmm. industry, all these other industries realized, wait a minute, those comic book nerds know something. And we should talk to them, too. So 
Hollywood started coming to Comic Con, and and publishing started coming to Comic Con, and then it became a self fulfilling prophecy. So, because then it's well, now Stephanie Meyer's at Comic Con, so now all the Twihards go to Comic Con, right. even though they don't care about comic right. books, and well, it just and- keeps building and building and building, and it's it's insane. And I have to be honest, I'm ambivalent about it. Every yeah. time I go to to these shows now, there is a part of me that looks around and goes, "Yeah, we made it." Like, <laughs> you kids who used to make fun of me in high school like ha i won and there's another part of me that that looks around and goes oh man but what have we lost well not just what have we lost but it it becomes that sort of i like the band before they were big yeah yeah which is a really immature attitude to have and yet there it is yeah and you know i was going to compare it to a much 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 lesser extent like this is going to sound so silly (laughs) but it's true you know I fell in love with Tori Amos when I was 14 or so. Right. And no one was listening to Tori then. And then all of a sudden in 1997, there were like three people listening. There were. All of a sudden, there were, instead of the one of us in high school, there were 10 of us. And um, she was named one of People Magazine's 50 Most Beautiful People. Like, and it was suddenly she had a year. And I was like, wait, she's mine. Like, that she belongs to me. That. That pop culture icon is mine, um, and she's special to me, and it's I don't want to see her on your magazine. Um, but also I do, because I want the rest of the world to know how cool I am yeah. for loving her. There's this tension. Is, There's yeah. this tension in, when, when you, you know, I, I remember when I was a kid, my favorite comic was one that, that did pretty well, but it wasn't one of, like, the top ten comics mm-hmm. in the industry. And I was always disappointed in that. And then a friend of mine showed me a review of that comic that uh-huh. just praised it to the heavens and ended by saying something like, um, you know, it's great to know that there's something wonderful that only, you know, about, Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and that, and that was sort of, that, that's sort of how I felt about comic books in general. I mean, even though I spent a lot of time being made fun of, uh, and a lot of time being mocked, uh, it was like, I was like, well, you know what? I know something you don't know. Yeah. I know. I mean, I still remember my, my high school Spanish teacher. I was trying to convince her comics were cool. <laughs> and I showed her a comic book written by Neil Gaiman. Yeah. And she proceeded to do a, a mockingly dramatic reading of it. Like, you know, deliberately over reading it okay. and making fun of the way it was written. Okay. You know, I guess to show me, oh no, this is actually really stupid and uh-huh. bad. And of course... I got the last laugh because it was written by Neil friggin' Gaiman, and he's a <laughs> literary superstar. So clearly, I knew something she didn't know. Like, I could tell. Before he was a literary superstar, there's something to this guy. Uh-huh. And yeah, that's really cool. And then you see it blown up on a Jumbotron, yeah. and you kind of go, wait, what? Oh my god, like, what I wished for came true, and, and, and I made the wrong wish! <laughs> so, it, it is a strange feeling yeah, when I go. Yeah, when I go to things like this. I'm also just going back to the, the literary track at things like Comic-Con. I'm just impressed people go to the literary events anyway, because when I'm at Con- Comic-Con, like I'm going to see the X-Files. Right. You know what I mean? I'm not, I, I love you authors. I want to be you, but I don't want to go see you at Comic-Con because I can see you anywhere. Right. <laughs> That's well, kind of how well I feel. also you live in New York. Yeah. I mean, literally yeah. every single day. There is an author event yeah, somewhere yeah. in the city of New York that you could go to. <laughs> uh, whereas, you know, Mulder and Scully are not dropping by the city right. every single day. Yeah. They're not at the Jefferson Market branch of the library. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm always amazed. I'm always impressed. You know, there, there was a woman dressed as a... 
There was a woman dressed as Agent Carter from Captain uh. America and the wonderful Agent Carter TV show uh, sitting right in the front row. And uh, as soon as she came up to me in the signing line, I said, thanks for being here, Agent Carter. Um, you know, and it's, it's cool. It is funny, though. My publicist was walking around with me and she said, you know, this is the only event that I go to every year where I think to myself, I could be killed by somebody accidentally, like with their sword or right. something. Cause yeah, you've got people walking around yeah. in these elaborate costumes that look dangerous as hell. So is it yeah. something that in five or seven years you'll want to bring the baby to? I mean, probably it'll depend in some ways on her interests. Yeah. I know that the last time I went to San Diego comic-con, my brother was there with his family mm-hmm. and my niece was in heaven. Uh-huh. I mean, she was just loving it. She spent, I think most of the day at the Lego booth cause they <laughs> had free Legos you could play with all day. And she spent the day there playing with Legos. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would like to take her. I mean, I'd like to start small. There's a wonderful comic book convention in Baltimore every year right. that is run by a good friend of mine. I've been to everyone except this year, uh, and and I would love to go next year and maybe take Leia and uh, dress her up and, and you know walk around the show and, and just because it's a smaller show, it's not as frenetic, yeah, yeah, as San Diego or New York, yeah. And then you know if it's something that as she gets older, if she likes stuff that is at Comic Con, we'd go to Comic Con. Yeah. I mean. Pretty much everything somebody likes is, is at Comic Con right, these days, yeah, you know. Yeah. Even if she's like, "I love strawberry shortcake." I mean, I bet it's there. I, yep. I'm pretty sure strawberry <laughs> shortcake and all of her friends will be at Comic Con. <laughs> all right, so moving on, but in the same vein, pop culture. We've talked a little bit before, I think, about certain television shows that are so superbly written that they inspire you as a writer. Uh, Mad Men has always been one of those for me where it's, that's the kind of show where, um, I don't, I put all my devices down. I turn off the lights. Like it's an event because it's so well-crafted that I want to watch, watch it really intensely. Right. Uh, you and I watched season one of The Leftovers, which we loved. We have spoken yes. before of our love of The Leftovers. It was a yes. really, really spectacular season. And season two started last week, and we watched the first episode. And I want to talk about that opening scene. <sighs> I'm hoping we can link to it in show notes. Maybe there's a clip of it out there. Man, if it's... you don't, If you haven't seen The Leftovers at all, I don't care. I'm not asking you to watch the show. Please watch this opening yeah, scene. Yeah, uh, watch the first, I think it's maybe five minutes, maybe, ten minutes, yeah. something like that. Yeah, but it it's is... basically the, it just does tension flawlessly. I have never seen a, a, a segment like that on a I, show. I cannot remember, it has probably been since Twin Peaks. So uh, we're talking 25 years yeah. since I have seen something on television that has evoked such a physical reaction from me. I felt so, and and this is going to make people not want to watch it, but I felt so stressed. Yes. And there was such tension. And I mean, I actually kind of want to um, hook someone up to some medical equipment before they see it, because I want to measure someone's blood pressure. It was just so flawlessly (laughs) done. It was flawlessly done. And it was just absolutely one of those moments where, as I was watching it, I knew I was watching something that was teaching me something about tension and pacing and well, storytelling. I was going to say, and storytelling, I think it was such a risk. Yes. Because, I mean, we won't talk about it too much, but mm-hmm. I just want to say, you know, le- The Leftovers, for those of you who don't know, is about a world in which one day 2% of the world's population just vanished. Just poof. 
Nobody knows where they went. They're just gone. And it's not about what happened to those people or figuring that out. It's just about what, what, happens, what happens in the world next yeah. when 2% of the world just up and disappears. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a, it's a drama about dealing with that. And it's based on Tom Prada's It's based novel, on Tom Prada's phenomenal novel. And so the first season was about a lot of the drama in this small town of people coping. It was like two years later. It was mm-hmm. the anniversary of what they call the sudden departure. And people were dealing with it. And it ended on a on a nice, a very nice note. And this season began tens of thousands of years in the past with mm-hmm. a cave woman yeah. cut off from her tribe with her newborn baby. Mm-hmm. And so there's no dialogue. Yeah. Obviously, you can barely see her. I mean, because she's covered in mud and dirt and 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 just stumbling around in the dark. And yet, and so it has. I mean, it, it's not a logical pickup from right. from the previous season at all. And it was so well done that it didn't matter. I yeah. would have watched an hour, a full hour of that woman Me and too. her little newborn. Yes. You know, yeah. that's how well done it was. And from a storytelling perspective, that is such a risk. Yeah. That is such a risk to say to your audience, hey, we know you liked this story we told you last year. By the way, 10,000 years before that, here's, here's something <laughs> here's, that happened. Here's, here's something that happened. And eventually you'll eventually figure out. you'll figure out how this ties in or yeah. if it ties in or you know, it might not even tie in. It might just be an allegory. It might right. just be something for us to think about as we watch the season. And I've literally been we, thinking about yeah. it all yeah. week since for, we watched it. For an it. entire week I've been thinking, is this going to literally tie into the story or is this just a thematic element? Yeah. You know, is this just something that they're presenting to us to make us think about something as we watch the action taking place in the present day? Mm-hmm. Either way, an amazingly brave choice yeah. and just so well done. So that was it from a storytelling perspective. Absolutely. I also want to add, as you said, it was about, uh, it followed a cave woman with her newborn and some various things that happened. And as I watched it, my other takeaway from the parenting perspective was, holy shit, women are badass. <laughs> Look at what cave women had to go through to sustain the population. Yeah. Like, well, to- I've, I've, I mean, I, I've said this ever since before the baby was born. Yeah. I frequently joke, uh, you know, when you would say something like, well, how do we do... X, Y, or Z. Uh-huh. And I would say, Cavewoman just did it. Yeah. Cavewoman didn't know. And, and that it's, was it. <laughs> and it's funny that now that's on TV, like this joke that I used to make. But, you know, and I would frequently say, you know, somebody would say to me, well, as a dad, are you going to do X, Y, or Z? And I'd uh-huh. be like, Caveman didn't worry about that. Right. And we, we got here. So, yeah. 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 It's. Yeah. Yeah. And it was one of those things, too, where, you know, I- I'm sort of, our baby is turning one in a week and a half. Yeah. And so I do, I've been doing a lot of reflecting, of course, naturally. And, you know, all of that anxiety and worry and stress and the, oh my God, are we doing this right? Or are we doing it wrong? Or what should we do next? Or who should we call to find out? Blah, blah, blah. Like you just realize to just let go of all of that because you, you figure it out. And I really do think of cave women, like this is natural. <laughs> Like, well, sure. Yeah. You know, we know what to do. Yeah. Just strip everything else away and you I, know what to do. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but right before the baby was born, when I was sort of at my maximum, oh my God, I'm going to be a dad. <laughs> I read an article where somebody talked about how the fact that you are alive means that you are the product of thousands of years of successful parenting. 
You know? Yeah, that's true. Like, I'm alive because my parents kept me alive. Because, because their, their parents kept yeah. them alive. And going all uh-huh. the way back throughout the... Like, literally, you know, as long as there have been humans, like, going all the way back, all those generations, like, I am only he- I'm only here because my entire ancestral tree succeeded as parents. Yeah. So, like, I am genetically programmed to succeed <laughs> as a parent. And that just... That made me feel pretty good. Yeah. Like, that... that made me think okay that makes a lot of sense actually yeah obviously accidents happen but still that makes that made a lot of sense to me and uh, hence my frequent joking about caveman and cavewoman and their parenting skills uh and yeah watching that episode yeah uh, yeah i mean you you can't help but but just be in awe yeah and and i'm not denigrating cavemen they uh, they had a very big job to do well their job was to keep cavewoman alive (laughs) so she could keep the baby alive it's just it's it's kind of amazing that our species survived at all well i mean you know i i look at just you know any animal that that gives live birth and you just look at how you know the mother just knows what to do yeah and it's just it's amazing it really is amazing anyway Go watch that opening scene of yeah, the Yeah, if you can, if you you know, no if matter you what. B- borrow somebody's HBO Go password or something, Seriously. just watch the first ten minutes of the show. Yeah, and it's just it, you know, we're not asking you to get involved in the show or anything, but just it's a master class in tension, yeah. and and risk and storytelling, bravery and all that mm-hmm. stuff, and it's just really amazing to watch. Absolutely. Okay, so moving on, another pop culture topic this week. I found out that CBS is possibly going to have a show about a modern-day Nancy Drew who is now an NYPD detective. Because everything on CBS is a police procedure. Yes, it is. Oh, my God. But listen, I am all over that. (laughs) And so I just started thinking, like, I'm not even a huge Nancy Drew fan. I didn't really grow up reading Nancy. I did. Well, I was going to say, just sort of generation-wise. I read The Hardy Boys and... That got me into Nancy Drew. Yeah. And, and, you know, once again, putting the lie to the notion that boys won't read books about girls. Yeah. I didn't care. They were mysteries. Right. I read them. Yeah. The only th- it's funny, though. You know, I have, I don't remember anything at all about any of those Hardy Boys books. I don't remember anything about the Nancy Drew books except for one thing. I remember one thing, which what? was she was going off to college, I believe, or she was going somewhere over the summer, I guess. And so she needed like more money, like she needed her allowance to be raised. Okay. And she asked her dad, and he said sure. And and uh, he gave her some extra allowance, but he told her, you know, that was it, and she was going to have to, you know, pay all of her expenses over the summer with it. And I remember specifically that it was she would have to buy her her bras and panties, <gasps> you know. And I just remember as a like a twelve year old, thirteen year old boy. It was the first time I, like, bras and panties were presented to me in sort of a, a mundane context <laughs> of, oh, right, girls have to go buy them. Like, you know, when you're a 12 or 13-year-old boy. Appear. Right, when you're a 12 or 13-year-old boy, it's like, gee, I'd like to see some bras and panties someday. They're amazing. Like, they have wonderful things, you know? And then it was just presented that way. And I was like, oh, right, they're things you buy. And uh, I kind of want to read that because that feels like the oddest and potentially most disturbing thing a father could say. No, it was just presented, it, like. It was just presented as like, you know, she would have to buy all of her stuff, such as. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And and that's the only thing I remember from any uh, of the Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew uh, books. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm glad they stuck with you. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> They're classics for a reason. But, yeah. Um, no, but so I didn't grow up reading them, but I have read several now in my old age. And obviously I respect 
the series incredibly. I'm really interested in the Stratemeyer Syndicate, which is the company that created Nancy Drew. Which sounds like a crime organization. Uh, oh, I know. Like, the show should be called the Stratemeyer Syndicate. Ooh. Let's do that right now. Oh. Let's pause this podcast and go write a screenplay right now. <laughs> Actually, they should make them, like, the mafia on the TV show. They That's should. What they should yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, uh, you know, it was essentially the first, not essentially, it was the first book packaging yeah. um, company. And, you know, Nancy Drew was ghostwritten by multiple people and, and lots of spinoffs and things like that. So I'm really interested, and I've read a few books about the, the backstory of Nancy behind the scenes. But this is sort of ties into the Comic-Con idea, which is I love... You know, our generation is all about nostalgia. Sure. And bringing back all the things we loved as kids and updating them for to, to appeal to ourselves as adults. Um, and hopefully our kids, too. But I feel like it's always our own generation that we're, we're trying to appeal to and sell to. Um, but anyway, I was, I was just thinking about Nancy and, like, uh, I will totally watch that. And what other things would I watch? Would I love to see? And obviously, the Babysitter's Club is something. And, you know, I've been really lucky in terms of the things that I've loved over the past few years having a sort of rebirth. Right. Um, It's not luck. Yeah, no, you're right. It's not luck. You're right in in the fat part of the nostalgia curve. Yeah. I mean, everybody... And it's happening right now with Goosebumps, for example. The Goosebumps movie comes out Which, can we bring up my billion-dollar idea? Yes. My Goosebumps Babysitter's Club crossover. I love that idea. Billion-dollar idea. Get on that, Scholastic. Make, (laughs) Make that happen. But, you know, I had a couple of years ago, Anna Martin released a Babysitter's Club prequel called The Summer Before. It's when they were fetuses, right? (laughs) Um, It was The Summer Before the BSC. Barry, pay attention to context clues. (laughs) Uh, Which was great, but everyone's been clamoring for a Babysitter's Club adult version. Like, where are they now? Which they so do. they're all middle-aged, basically. divorced, no, but, you know, single moms, drunk, 20s or 30s, oh, that's okay. what I would love to see. And they did that with Sweet Valley High slash Twins a few years ago called Sweet Valley Confidential. And um, it was exactly what I wanted it to be. It was amazing. But, so so my two favorites, what I'm saying, are done. Right. Kind of. BSE had additional modern-day content. And, and Sweet Valley. So what about you? Anything? <sighs> You know, it's interesting because most of the things I really loved as a child didn't go away. Oh, okay. Comic books are published yeah. perpetually. Superman has been published continuously since 1938. You know, there was never a time when Superman went away. There was never a time when The Flash went away or Batman went away. See, that's, that, like, that's a whole different yeah. thing philosophically. So it's not, like, it's not like I'm sitting here going, man... Remember Batman? Remember right. when we were kids, how cool Batman was? I wish somebody would bring Batman back. Like, no, like, the guy wow. never went away. So you never had the chance to miss him. You know, the closest that I've come would be Star Wars. Uh-huh. Because Return of the Jedi came out in 1983. And then there was, you know, almost between 15 and 20 years before the next movie came out. And that did not go so well. Yeah. So that, that's what I'm here to tell you is be careful yeah. what you wish for well, because sometimes you'll get it and, it and it ain't what you want. But there are two other examples coming next year for us. One is Twin Peaks and one is yeah. The X-Files. Yeah. No, I mean, Twin Peaks is probably the one. Yeah. Twin Peaks is probably the one thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm psyched about the Star Wars movie coming yeah. out this year because I feel like I feel like they've, they're at least in the right ballpark mm-hmm. from what I can tell. Uh, but in terms of things that I enjoyed and, you know, I wasn't a child when Twin Peaks was on the air. I was in college when Twin Peaks was on the air. Oh, so you were a baby. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, that's probably the one thing from when I was, from when I was younger 
that I have wished they would bring back. And you saw how excited I was yes. when, when word leaked yeah. that they were doing it. I mean, I was losing it. I filmed you secretly to use for blackmail purposes <laughs> blackmail, later. Yeah. There, there is one, there's one other thing though. Well, two other things I should say, and it goes back to books that we read as kids. Okay. When I was a kid, there were two series of books that I was obsessed with. One was the Danny Dunn series, which was about a kid whose mother was the housekeeper for an eccentric scientist, and he would always get into mischief with the scientist's inventions. And the other was the Three Investigators series, which was a series about three kids in California who were private detectives. And You really had a, like, genre, <laughs> didn't you? The detective genre. Well, Danny Dunn wasn't a detective. Okay. But uh, Hardy Boys and yeah. Nancy Drew. Well, I got into Hardy Boys because of the three investigators, actually. Ah. Uh, the three investigators were, you could maybe charitably say it was sort of an updated version, yeah. a more modern version of, of the Hardy Boys. Uh, but I really loved both of those series when I was a kid. And I've always said that I would, for free, write, write a them. revival <laughs> that combined them. I would love to do a crossover. Yeah. Do like, like you know, a trilogy that brings those characters together. And I would, I would write the hell out of that. <laughs> So if somebody would like to bring back those characters and do it really well, yeah. that would make me very happy. But other than that, there's very little from my childhood that I feel nostalgic for because it didn't go away. Yeah. It stuck around. That's really interesting. Yeah. Wow. Which is probably why men of my generation are such arrested adolescents. Because that, our oh child our, our childhood stuff never went away. Mind blown. Like we were th- able to to stick with it. Seriously, I think yeah. that's a really valid yeah. observation. There. I mean, in my case, you know, comic books grew up as I was growing up. Yeah. Just when I was getting to the age where typically a generation prior, like my dad, gave up comic books, you know, when he was fourteen, because uh-huh. that's when you discover girls and all this other stuff. When I became fourteen, comic books started to get older and more mature. Wow. That's when Dark Knight came out. That's when Watchmen came out. That's when Mouse came out. That's when Love and Rockets started, and so. So there was no reason for me to put to go. Right. Oh wait, this is kid crap. I, I Why am I reading it. this? Yeah. It's like, oh no, this is interesting, insightful political allegory. I'll keep reading yeah. this. And yeah, so I just never had to put those things away. Yeah. And that's probably why I'm 44 years old, but I still think I'm 15. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all still think we're 15? I I just know I do. Okay, I do as well. So, um, okay, cool. Uh, I have a confession. Uh, I am not a priest. I cannot take your confession. <laughs> I need to tell someone, okay. so I'm telling everyone right okay. now. I caved, Yeah. and I finished A Little Life. Ah. I made all this fuss and noise about not being able to manage it right. and stopping halfway through. Right. And by fuss and noise, I mean I think I sent a tweet. <laughs> and uh, But I just kept thinking about it. It kept coming back to me. It's in my Kindle, which is with me everywhere, so you know, I would go read something else. And then sneak in a few pages and be like, can I manage this? Yeah. And I, I sort of just kept gut checking myself. I did end up skimming some of the bad parts. Mm. That sounds so funny. I skimmed the bad parts. Yeah. Um, because I just didn't want to go there emotionally. Sure. Like I knew what was happening. That was hard enough. The book is so well written and so well crafted that I, even the the quote unquote bad parts, by which I mean the the memories, the flashbacks to the one character's childhood. Um, Obviously they're bad. (laughs) They're, they're they're tough to read, but the rest of the book is tough to read too in different ways. And like, and in lovely ways, even 
Um, so I was crying a lot during those parts. Like it, it wasn't the bad parts aren't the parts that made me cry. Those right. just made me want to curl up and die. Yeah. But this <laughs> the, the, the rest of the book was just so so well done that I was you know crying out of love a lot of times. That, that should be a blurb on the cover. Made me want to curl up and die. Morgan Baden. <laughs> the rest of the world. I think is saying yeah, that as well. Yeah. Anyway, so um, so I did finish it. Very I'm glad good. I did. I feel like I've been inducted into a club. <laughs> That no one cares about. Uh, but it is funny. I've been seeing on Twitter, like, obviously people are, are talking about this book. And I've been seeing other people say, like, I didn't want to, but everyone told me to. So I did. And I'm glad I did. Or I'm, I wish I hadn't. Or I started to and then I stopped and then I started. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just really interesting watching all of the reader experiences with this book. So um, my soul is clean. <laughs> I can move on. I absolve you Thank of you. your sins, my child. Thank you. Uh, what are you reading? Um, I'm still working my way through a prayer for the city. Um, I do have a recommended reading, okay. however, uh, which don't get on me about old books because you know it's recommended reading. It's not. It's not recommended reading that I just read yesterday. <sighs> it's just whatever you recommend you that you think people should read. All right. So I just want to recommend a fine, fine graphic novel called Fortune and Glory. By Brian Michael Bendis. It is. Hey, it, I know that name. There you go. Do you know why I know that name? Because <laughs> you read Fanboy and Goth. Girl. That's why. <laughs> did I ever tell you? My editor thought I invented him. <laughs> my editor did not realize he was a real human being until well, I said something. It takes a lot of courage to write a real human being into your fiction book. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to meet him at one point after I had done that. Yeah. Everybody assumed I was friends. In fact, in fact, one me review too. one review dinged me and said, you know, Ligo only wrote this book so that he could have fun at, at his friend's expense. Blah, oh, blah, blah. Wow. And I'm like, I don't know the guy at <laughs> all. I just did this. And then I finally got to meet him and he was really cool. Uh, and he was very cool about me using him in the book as well. And so was Neil Gaiman for that matter. Neil nice. Gaiman was very cool about it. Uh, but anyway, Fortune and Glory by Brian Michael Bendis. It is an autobiographical graphic novel about his experiences having one of his graphic novels optioned and having huh. the rights purchased. And it is hilarious huh. and profane and not for polite company and amazing. And writers and wannabe writers should read it because it is a cold, hard dose of reality about how Hollywood works. Wow. And it's just, and it's, and, but it's also entertaining it's as yeah. hell. It's not like a screed. It's like, yeah. it, it's more like he's just bemused the whole time. Like yeah. and the way he draws himself, he just looks like he's perpetually befuddled by everything <laughs> around him. And it's just, it's really, really funny and just excellent. And he's had the last laugh because now he's huge. But yeah, it, it's really good to read. And, and it's one of those books that I recommend to all writers. And this is a writing podcast. So you know, people you should go. read this. It's great. So basically, writers who are listening, you have homework this week. Yeah. It's number one, go watch The Leftovers. Go watch The Leftovers. And number two, go read Fortune and Glory. Fortune and Glory, right. And that's all you need. Then you'll be successful after that. <laughs> uh, okay, so I think that's it for us this week. I think so. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Don't forget to visit us online at writinginreallife.com. You can find our show notes there. We will try and link to The Leftovers. Um and subscribe to us in iTunes. And while you're there, give us a rating. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, everyone. See you next week. Bye.